This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hey guys, welcome to this week's podcast. I have a bunch of news to talk about, as well as an interview with Noah from BitBuilt, as well as this month's Patreon giveaway. So definitely stay tuned for that. Also, I've tried to upgrade my camera setup a little bit. I figured I would try using my DSLR, but I think it's only recording in 1080i. So I guess that means any kind of fast movement on the screen might get a little choppy or something. But uh, let me know your opinions. If it's worth uh, continuing with this, I'll just maybe upgrade the body and keep the lens I'm using and kind of just go from there. But as always, let me know what you think. But for now, let's jump right into the news. First up, I just did a review of the BitBuild Game Boy Dev Kits, which is essentially a game programmer slash dumper, as well as a couple of individual carts. Um, if you're interested in that stuff, definitely give it a watch because I think anybody that owns a good-sized Game Boy library and wants to back up their games should own some kind of dumper like that. And theirs is very cheap and works really well. And also the individual carts are pretty cool if you want to just load one game at a time. But also, I, I've been kind of sticking to this new formula of reviews as much as I can, where I do, you know, as quick a video a review as possible, because I hate videos that drag on forever. You know, I don't have that much time to sit and deal with all that. Um, but then I also add a little bit of the interview at the end. So in this case, I did the full interview with Noah and then just cut out the Game Boy, direct Game Boy cartridge-related part and put that in the end of the review. So what do you guys think of that as a formula? I know as somebody that really is into electronics and all this stuff, um, I, I kind of like it like this because I'll see the demo and if it's not something I like, I could just close the window. But if it is, not only do I get to see more about the product, but I get to hear directly from the people that designed it, which is important to me, but maybe everybody else thinks it's dumb. So uh, definitely looking forward to your feedback on that. Um, and the full interview with Noah is at the end of this podcast. Only the partial Game Boy part is actually in the review. Last week, Nintendo made a lot of announcements at E3, and all of the announcements came out at the end of the day, Tuesday, after the podcast was already rendered and everything. And I kind of debated, do I delay the podcast a, like a full day or half a day? You know, do I release it on Wednesday night instead of Wednesday morning? And I decided not to this time just because it was all newer stuff and it was things that was all over all of the news. So I figured if somebody was really into it, they'd already be watching the E3 blogs. But what's your opinion on this? I know I've already asked your opinion on a million things already, and we're only a few minutes into this week's podcast, but I really am just trying to do whatever you guys want. So in situations like this, do I hold off for the big announcement before releasing the podcast, or do I just assume everybody's already seen it? So uh, whatever you guys want me to do, I'll do that next time. But although most of this news is a week old, uh, here's some of the E3 stuff, and I'll start with the thing I was most excited about, a 2D Metroid for the 3DS. That was basically a reimagining of Metroid 2 Return of Samus. 
So I'm a little upset that it's only on the 3DS because I absolutely love um, playing on a big screen with a regular controller, leaning, you know, just leaning back and enjoying myself. But the fact that there's any 2D Metroid at all, I'm pretty excited about. And I also thought it was kind of funny that, you know, less than a year after AM2R was released, now they're doing kind of their own version of it. But um, Dr. M64 was uh, actually interviewed and uh, by Kotaku, who said he actually really liked it, uh, the idea of it, and he was excited to play it. So it's cool. You know, he seems like a really nice guy. It's it's very cool that he's happy about it and not bitter that they pulled his game. But it's not like any of us didn't get a chance to download it and play it or still could. But it's just, uh, I don't know, that seems pretty awesome of him after all that work just to have it, you know, have him banned. But... I guess we all, the good news is we all could still play his game if we want, and there's a new 2D Metroid coming out soon. So I'm very excited for that, and uh, hopefully one of, us, one of us will come up with some creative way to play 3DS games on an RGB monitor before it comes out, so I could actually experience it like a real 2D old-school Metroid game. Next, it looks like Metroid Prime 4 is coming to the Switch, and that's just the next in the series of the 3D Metroid games. Uh, I'm sure a lot of you guys will probably hate me for saying this, but I was never a fan of the first-person shooter Prime games. I really just loved Metroid as a 2D or even a 2.5D side-scroller. Uh, once again, I, you guys will probably make fun of me for this, but I actually really enjoyed Other M. It's not the best Metroid game, but I certainly loved playing it. So maybe I'm just the old fart gamer that loves 2D-style gaming only, but... Uh, yeah, I mean, if you're a fan of Prime, then definitely get excited because you'll get a new one on the Switch. Another thing I'm pretty excited about, 8-Bit Doe's just announced a Nintendo Switch SNES controller. So basically, imagine a SNES controller, but with the two PlayStation analog sticks at the bottom. That's essentially what this is. Now, when it comes to playing Bluetooth controllers on Bluetooth consoles, I highly recommend the 8-Bit Doe stuff. Their controllers feel just like the originals, and they're very good quality. The only time I don't recommend them is I don't really like the retro receiver stuff. You know, those consoles, the NES and the SNES, were designed to be played with a wired controller with zero controller lag. And while there's many scenarios where a little bit of controller lag won't matter at all, you know, if you're playing on a Bluetooth controller, on a flat screen TV, through an upscaler, all of this adds up and it's just a tremendous amount of lag. So I don't really recommend any wireless controllers that I know of yet for retro consoles. You know, the retro receivers are fun, but not for serious or especially competitive gaming. But on a console that already uses Bluetooth, where the developers already keep con um, controller lag in mind when making the games... I mean, I think it's going to be great, and I'm really excited to try it. And it should be cheaper, or I would hope it would be cheaper, than the official uh, Nintendo Switch uh, Classic controller. So as soon as one comes out, I'll definitely get it and review it. But overall, it just looks like a really awesome way to play Switch games. Next, a 3D Mario game was announced called Super Mario Odyssey for the Switch. And it looks pretty cool. looks like exactly what you would expect the next iteration of a 3D Mario game to look like. And there's, I guess, a cool feature where you could throw his hat, and I think even the second player might be able to control it or something. Uh, I don't know. It, it kind of looked gimmicky to me, but the people at E3 that played it said it worked really well and it was a fun addition. So that's awesome. I'm going to you know, uh, approach this with uh, an open mind, I guess, is the best way uh, to put it. But, 
Yeah, another game announced for the the Switch that will really expand its library to something that might be a little more appealing to uh, Nintendo fans that really want those first um, first party titles. And lastly, for the official Nintendo E3 stuff, there's going to be a 2D side-scrolling Yoshi platformer in 2018. And it's not really 2D, it's that new 2.5D looking thing, but basically it's going to be a side-scrolling Yoshi adventure, and it looks pretty neat. So it's really, it seems like Nintendo is really covering everybody's ground for the Switch. They have their 3D games, the 2D games, and they're even uh, continuing to release stuff on the 3DS. So overall, I would say that they had a pretty decent E3. One thing that looked absolutely awesome was a VR version of Mario Kart playable on the HTC Vive, but only in a Japanese arcade. So this looks really cool. You, you know, you sit in a, a, a go-kart-like thing, you strap on the HTC Vive, and you could actually play like a first-person Mario Kart. That was really awesome, and I really hope something like that comes to the U.S. Uh, I would love to try to set something like that up as well. So, you know... it maybe not necessarily open an arcade but open something where people could just come in and experience stuff like that that you otherwise just wouldn't be able to experience elsewhere but definitely check out the video and i hope i someday get to try it htc just announced something else that was pretty awesome it's called duck season also for the vr and basically it sets in 1988 and you buy duck hunt and you start playing the shooting game but at some point or another, the dog gets pissed at you, and now he's after you. So I, that's all I need in order to play this game. I mean, the the article has a whole bunch more info, and the video looks cool, but that premise alone, I'm sold. Hopefully the game is even half as good as the premise of it, but um, I guess I'll have to be buying an HTC Vive at some point in the future, because that just looks way too cool to pass up. Next, I just had an update from Woozle about his Game Boy Advance HDMI output project. He said it's coming along pretty well and sent me a long list of spe uh, specs and features, but basically at the moment it's going to be 720p only and all integer scaling with a bunch of other really cool features such as the SNES controller already built in. So it's really progressing and looking like it's almost about to be a finished product. I should be getting a prototype in soon. Um, he asked me not to show any pictures of it because it's still in very uh, prototype looking uh, stages. So he wanted it to be, because it really is turning out to be a very polished solution. But as soon as there's something available, I'll do an in-depth prototype review, which might be an oxymoron, because anytime there's a prototype, things could always change. But I'm really excited. Um, I think that, you know, we really need a perfect way to play all the original Game Boy, Game Boy Color, and Game Boy Advance games. And while the Game Boy interface software for the GameCube is amazing, it still requires a GameCube, a Game Boy Player, some way to boot the Game Boy interface. Um, so I really just I can't wait to try this out. Uh, any other updates or any permanent release dates or anything like that, not permanent, official release dates, I'll definitely let everybody know. But I just wanted to at least mention it to, uh, so that everybody knows that the project is progressing and we might be able to get a release possibly by the end of the summer. So crossing my fingers on that and I'll update when there's solid info. Next up, the PSIO is now up for pre-order if you have an invite. They were sending out invites to people on their mailing list with a password in it, and then you could just take that password, put it into their sale page, and then pre-order it. It should be the same deal as last time where expect delivery in about six months. 
But I'd really like to get at least one of the team members on for the podcast at some point in the future, because there certainly was a lot going on on that. There was some drama and everything else, and I would really love to hear right from the horse's mouth what happened. So if any uh, anybody knows those guys personally, please put me in touch with them, because it, it is a great product, and I would really just like to know where it's going next and what to expect from it. Next, Hyperkin has just announced the Retron 77, which is a 1080p Atari 2600, and I don't really know how I feel about it. So I obviously have my opinions on Hyperkin that many of you often disagree with, but, um, you know, they do fill a place in the market. You know, there's people that would just rather emulate these or play them on a phone or whatever else. And there's uh, those of us who I would assume is the majority of the people watching and listening that if you're going to play a 2600 game, you're going to want to play it on a 2600 on a CRT because it's just... You know, when you start playing it on flat screen, sometimes they really lose the, um, they don't feel like they were designed to be played that way, at least in my opinion. But um, yeah, it's a Hyperkin product, so it might not come out at all. It might be delayed three years. It might have stolen code when it is released. And go ahead and get mad at me for saying all that. But the fact is, all of those things are true. So maybe this year, but they claim by the end of this year. So maybe this year for around $80, we'll get a 1080p Atari 2600 clone. Maybe not. We'll see. Hopefully they took the time to make it right. But uh, as soon as it comes out, I'll try to get one to review. But don't get your hopes, don't get your hopes up for $80. I'm not getting that excited. Next, Kepfrish just announced that there will be a Rev 2 of the motherboard for the Analog NT Mini. And it's really only going to matter for people in PAL regions because he's added a, a power pin to the DB15 analog connector. Because as of now, anybody that needs to use a SCART cable with it needs to tap into the USB port to get the 5 volts power so that your PAL CRT can switch over to RGB mode. Those of us who use Sony PVMs or, or upscalers of any kind, any kind of processor, it really doesn't apply to us because I don't know of any other scenario where the power is required on the cable like that. So it's kind of a, a neat little thing for people in PAL regions, but um, it's really just a small update. I just figured I'd let everybody know so that anybody getting the next rev of analog NT mini in the PAL regions can just get a basic uh, DB15 to SCART cable. It has to be custom made because it has to be to the specifications of the NT Mini, but I believe re uh, Retro Gaming Cables is working on that. Um, if you need one now for the original versions, I think you can get one with an optional USB pigtail, uh, but you'd have to contact them directly. Next, HD RetroVision cables will be up for sale this Saturday the 24th. So this is actually going to be a staggered sale. They're going to put the first batch up on Saturday, and then they're going to wait a while for their distribution to catch up and ship everything out, and then put up another batch for sale either you know, within a few weeks, I guess is the best way to call it. Um, this batch will have the SNES and Genesis cables as always, each with a few minor improvements. Um, this, uh, they'll both have ones to try to deal with those TVs that are improperly interpreting the signals and giving you that weird sync jitter. Um, they think they've kind of fixed that, and the SNES has one, uh, has a little thing in it so that if you're using a PAL GameCube, um, the image will be a little more uniform and not as curved on one side. Um, and also, very importantly, they have the adapters for Neo Geo and Saturn already, which I've just tested. Um, 
They're both for the Genesis cables, so you buy the Genesis one, then buy this adapter. The Saturn one, you definitely need to turn the brightness up. It's, it's, you won't miss it, trust me. If you plug it in, it's either going to be perfect or way too dark. Um, and the Neo Geo one depends on the console, because there is a ton of different AES revisions. Uh, same with the Neo Geo CD, and some have some pretty bad video issues. Um, so basically, you would just toggle to which one looks better on your display. But uh, I've been able to test them. They look and work great, as always. And uh, I will post, uh, I will repost whenever they say it's actually up for sale, the exact time. All I know is for now, it's Saturday the 24th, and then there will be a second sale afterwards for anybody that missed it. So uh, link's in the description, and if you plan on buying one, just make sure to test your TV first, because a lot of, t a lot of flat screen TVs don't process 240p at all. And a lot of TVs in general process 240p as if it were 480i. Even some of those HD CRTs do that. So um, there's a link right on their website where you could go through some pretty easy tests. You don't need the component cables to do it. You could test with composite. Uh, and just make sure your stuff's compatible and go from there. Next, there's a ROM hack of the Nest Turtles game called Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Return to New York. The main goal of the game is to give each turtle a different set of abilities to encourage use of the whole team in different situations throughout the game. Some gameplay elements have been added to facilitate this, and the story and setting of the game has been enhanced as much as possible. So I played the game, and that was the developer's description, which is spot on. Um, you could switch between turtles at any time. Each of the turtles' abilities has been tweaked to be more personalized. And the game overall just felt a little bit better. Um, and it wasn't harder either. This wasn't one of these ROM hacks that makes it super hard. You know, it's still the Turtles game, which is really frustrating. You could just, you know, go all the way across something just to find out it's a dead end or you don't really get anything. So, you know, it, just don't expect a perfect game after this. But I genuinely think it's an improvement upon the original. I was only able to test it on my Analog NT Mini. It wouldn't run on my ROM cart which probably means that the mapper isn't supported. So there's different ways to patch these things. Maybe it's possible, but at the very least, um, at the moment, you could definitely use it on the analog NT Mini or on an emulator, and hopefully somebody will figure out how to get it working on an EverDrive. Next, Atari CEO confirmed that they're back in the hardware business, and that's a quote. He also said it's years in the making. So I don't know what any of that means. Um, you know, it's everybody's speculation and guess that because of the popularity of the NES Classic, this is probably just an Atari in a box. Uh, but who knows what it could be. Maybe it's the Jaguar 2. I guess we'll all have to wait and see. Next, Neil deGrasse Tyson, everyone's personal astrophysicist, has announced that he's part of a team that's working on a game about realistic space exploration. There's a Kickstarter up now, and it seems to me kind of like a, one of the Sims games, but more realistic in what colonization of space might actually be like. To be honest, I love that dude, so the fact that you said video game and Neil deGrasse Tyson, I probably would have just bought it right then. Uh, but the more I read about it, the more it actually looks very cool. So if you guys are into space and you're into video games, maybe it's worth checking out and seeing if it's worth it. A game called The Last Night was shown at E3, and it was described as being what a 16-bit style game should be in 4K. So I know that's kind of confusing and maybe a bit of an oxymoron thing, but basically it's got really great graphics, and it seems to be a side-scroller type of game. 
uh, in very in the vein of a 16-bit adventure game. So if the trailers are anything like the actual gameplay, it should be a very cool game, uh, and it's going to be released next year. But I guess this was just the first teaser of it, and I thought it looked cool enough to mention. Here is this month's Patreon giveaway. This was donated by somebody, and I got to tell the story because this one kind of made me laugh a little bit at the end. Um, I got contacted by somebody named Jody, who goes by Elbow Droppa on Twitter and Judas Prime on eBay. And he said that he had been watching the roundup, and he offered to donate one of his custom consoles for the next month's giveaway. And my immediate, you know, bitter old man, been on the internet forever, knee-jerk reaction was like, no, you're not going to buy me off. I'm not going to promote your stuff for free. What if it sucks? But he left a link to his eBay auctions in the email, and as soon as I clicked on the link, I went oh shit, these things are really good, aren't they? <laughs> so, <laughs> excuse my bitter old man, immediately jumped to the negative, um, but I emailed him back and, and had a million questions about his Genesis because I thought he did really great work and I would like to take him up on it. So here is the Genesis um, made from, I guess, Judas Prime is his eBay username. And I think not only is this perfect uh, because I think it's an awesome, awesome giveaway, it's also perfect because of the discussions we've been having um, that there are good eBay modders out there, and they just use eBay because it's an easy place to sell to a, a very wide range of people. So you certainly don't have any of the crap in this that you see in the others. And the other thing I love about this is that it's a no-cut mod, which I'll talk about that probably next week. But let me just get some uh, some focus in on this. So as you can see, he's got a region switch. And then he puts the, the audio port there. So you don't need to do any cutting. You just, with the RF remove, you have the audio right there. And then next to it, of course, is an S-video output. So overall, this thing is pretty cool. I mean, you have the region mod. You have an S-video mod. Um... And all of it done without cutting the plastic, which is really important to me because it all just preserves everything about the Genesis that you would, or about any game console, you know? Because so many of these mods get redone and then you end up with a hole in the back and all of it sucks, but not this. Just the EXT port was removed and the RF was removed. And uh, other than that, it's pretty perfect. Uh, it's also otherwise stock inside. It was cleaned up um, and made sure to be working well. Um, it does have the typical Genesis jail bars, which any Genesis is going to have unless you do a full bypass. But hopefully we'll be able to see uh, Voltar's uh, RGB bypass soon, which will install perfectly into this and get rid of all of the jail bars while keeping S-Video and composite support. So anybody who gets this is going to get a really, really high quality Genesis uh, with room to grow. I guess, but I spoke to Jody, and uh, when Voltar gets the RGB bypass finalized, he's even going to consider putting these in his future products. So this is just, all of this is exciting to me, because it's another eBay seller that actually does a great job. It's a, con a very well-modded console, um, and I get to give it away to my Patreons, who I'm just so freaking thankful for, because I wouldn't be able to do this if you guys didn't help. So I guess that was just a really long way of saying thank you so much to Judas Prime, a.k.a. Jody, a.k.a. Elbow Droppa. And uh, I guess let me right now start and uh, I guess do the drawing. Um, I lost the papers I did last time, so I'm just going to print everything out, uh, recut it, drop it in a box, and do, uh, you know, do the usual 
paper out of a box trip out of a box trick just like last time. Shit, that just took over 10 minutes. You know, last month, somebody suggested I just put everybody into an Excel sp uh, spreadsheet and then use a random number generator and whatever number comes up, correspond that to the number on the spreadsheet and be done. And I thought that was a great idea, but then I thought, well, hey, isn't it so much more fun just to pull something out of a box? But holy crap, man. But anyway, uh, here we go. So see it all in there. I'm just going to shake and pull. Alright, this month's Patreon winner for the awesome region modded S video and stereo audio modded Genesis is. I'll do this on camera so everybody knows I'm not. Come on, shake out. It is Derek Hoffman. Let me cover up his email. We got this. Derek Hoffman. All right, Derek, uh, congratulations. You have just won this pretty freaking awesome Genesis. Um, if I don't hear from you by the end of today, I'm going to email you. Uh, and if for whatever reason you don't want it, just let me know, and I will put an, uh, pull another strip out of the box. And you guys let me know for next week um, or next month. Do I still keep doing it this way? Do I maybe just add new names to the strips or something? Or do I just use a random number generator? I really wish Patreon had something built in for something like this. I mean, there's got to be a bunch of other people trying to do the same thing. But anyway, congrats to Derek Hoffman for getting the awesome Genesis. Thank you so much to Jody, a.k.a. Elbow Dropper, a.k.a. Judas Prime, uh, for donating it. Um, and this is a Genesis only. You'll need a power supply and all the cables and a controller. Um, so obviously, just contact me for the links. And I'll even put, if anybody's interested too, um, the guys from HD Retrovision figured out a really cheap, good third-party power supply. So I'll have a link to that in the description as well, just for anybody that's uh, that's interested. Okay, on to the Q&As. First, a bunch of people last week posted in regards to the PAL-M Brazilian format. And the general consensus was that if you have those consoles, you should use NTSC cables but the compatibility could be spotty with the FrameMeister. Supposedly it will work with 480i, but there's certain issues on 240p. Um, and uh, somebody posted a video, uh, Cosmic Effect posted a video, and it's in Portuguese, uh, but it, um, it actually demonstrates some of the Mega Drive Model 1 on a FrameMeister. So uh, anybody that wants to look, uh, you know, has any interest in that, definitely take a look. And I hope to someday get a bunch of PAL-M consoles to test. Um, I know my backlog of stuff to work on is like uh, six months long, but now that I actually have a very safe place to store all these things, I really would like to start collecting PAL-M, and uh, I think I need a lot more regular PAL consoles as well. As far as I know, all I have is a French uh, 
GameCube and a French Genesis that my buddy Chris sent me. So um, if anybody has any extra stuff for sale, really cheap. I know shipping from Brazil Brazil is probably very costly, but uh, maybe I'll talk to Kenji and see if he could hook me up the next time he goes back. But it would really be great to, to start getting this stuff in so I could do this testing myself. I still, I still need to get an oscilloscope. I'm really sorry. I just, I already, you know, maxing out my credit card trying to get the rest of the stuff in here. But it would just, it would be really great if I could have one place to have all of these things so I could do these tests. And also, everybody who's in the area is always welcome to come and test things that they need as well. So um, thank you to all the people that posted about the PAL-M stuff. And if anybody could help uh, maybe sell me consoles cheap, um, I could get them here and do a lot more follow-up testing. Next, some more info on that Tech Toy Genesis. A few people took a look at the pictures and said it's basically an ASIC, a system on a chip that's uh, running the console. So at least it's not a software emulator solution, so you shouldn't get any of that software lag in there. Um, and from my understanding, basically, it's kind of like the FPGA consoles, where as long as the person who programmed it did a good job, then it could potentially be perfect, but we don't often see that happen. I mean, it's in fact very rare that I've seen that stuff be perfectly accurate, and Kevtris is the only one that really pops to mind on somebody that's that level of, of perfection. Um, but basically, yeah, it's kind of like an FPGA, but stamped on one chip. Uh, Jacob Proctor said it's like an FPGA without the FP part. I kind of thought that was funny. Um, so thanks to him and uh, Andrea Campanella and Sandy Starchild for jumping in and kind of taking a look at those chips and seeing which is which. And, you know, at least at least it's not bad. And for somebody that wants a composite video genesis... I don't know why you would, but it seems like kind of a neat thing to get. But let's all hope that this FPGA simulation, hardware emulation, whatever you want to call it, um, I just hope that this all of this work in FPGAs is going to continue to progress because I really think it's the, the long-term future of these consoles. You know, short-term, and when, you have, when you're thinking in terms of preservation, short-term means like, 30, 40, 50 years, and long-term means like 100, 200 years. So, you know, the short-term, I think, would still be, we're all still going to be using the consoles, but the long-term, past 10 years from now, I think a lot of these things are just going to be museum pieces uh, with very occasional demos done on original hardware, and I think um, FPGA consoles are what people are going to be using. So it's very important that we preserve all of the originals because eventually they're not going to be here or not going to be usable. Um, I'm working on a project that's kind of going down that road, but it's going to be a while before I have anything to announce. So I kind of completely got off topic there. Holy shit. <laughs> Thanks to those guys for reading the chips on the Genesis. <laughs> Sorry for going off on a tangent about FPGAs. <laughs> I'll just move on to the next one. <laughs> Okay, up next, I have an interview with Noah from BitBuilt. I had a great time talking about all the different things he's working on and all the future projects, which are pretty exciting. I don't want to spoil it because it's all in the interview. Uh, but it's just great to see people, uh, newcomers, into the retro gaming scene. I mean, he's been around for a few years, but uh, still, you know, the younger generation of people coming in and contributing just as hard as the people that have been around forever. So... You know, I like to think that we're a pretty welcoming community, and I'm, I'm just glad to see more people jumping in like this. Very impressive stuff. Very nice guy. 
Um, also, as always, any comments or criticism, please post down below. Um, you know, was the DSLR for the camera worth it? Um, does anybody know if the, the newer Canons have that thing where it automatically shuts off after a half hour? That drives me crazy. Um, you know, as always, just uh, anything you got, please post down below or contact me directly. Uh, and here you go, an interview with Noah from BitBuilt. Hey guys, I'm here with Noah from BitBuilt. How's it going, man? Pretty good. How about yourself? Pretty good. So I've been starting to hear of uh, BitBuilt a lot more. I'm probably going to mumble through that, so sorry. It's BitBuilt for anybody who <laughs> makes fun of my mumbling. Um, uh, is, is your site relatively new, or have you just started to sell products? Um, you know, what's with uh, what's with the, all the positive stuff I've been hearing? But why now, as opposed to all in the past? What do you guys do? Like, is a uh, it's a forum, and you sell uh, Game Boy stuff, right? Yeah, so we actually founded in February of 2016, and then we went public in March of March 1st, 2016, actually. And we didn't actually launch a store until October of 2016. It was around the tail end of the month. The first thing and the only thing that we actually had in the store was the GC Plus GameCube replacement controller board for portables. It's just a small microcontroller that mimics the GameCube first-party controller and has a cool uh, extra features that you can like set dead zones on your joysticks. You can readjust it to use 3DS sliders for your projects if you need. And for a long while, that was the only product that we actually had in the store. It took us about three or four months to finally get the cartridges to a point where I said we can put these up for pre-order and start getting them out to people. And so those went public in March of 2017. So it took about a year for us to get to the Game Boy stuff. Mm. I had been working on it for a few months beforehand, but it did take us quite a while to get to that point where we were comfortable with actually pushing it to the public and saying, here this is, you can pre-order it now. Gotcha. Now you say we. Is there a team of guys, or is it predominantly you with some help? So there's me, and I handle all of the shipping and putting the boards together. But we do have a guy over in Italy. He's known as Aurelio on the forums. He does a lot of the circuitry design. Um, he did GC Plus completely. He wrote the firmware. He designed the board. That was all him. And then we have Shockslayer, which is, for anybody who's been in the modding community is probably a familiar name, mm -hmm. who also helps out quite a bit. Um, he's down south in the u.s and then i'm up in michigan so it does make it kind of hard to coordinate sometimes if you're doing a project and you need to send stuff off quickly mm -hmm. especially when you have somebody in europe but yeah so there's the three of us and then we also have another administrator on the forum cheese who also helps out quite a bit gotcha gotcha so um yeah all right well that timeline kind of fits them because i started hearing about you guys about last year so good i'm glad i didn't miss anything before that <laughs> yep there was Nothing before then. I mean, that's really when we kickstarted it. We started working on the Wii trimming stuff back in January, but we didn't really form with a name and get everything solidified until around the middle of February and then launched in March. Yeah, can we talk about that for a little bit? Because the first time I saw that, the first thing that popped in my head is, holy shit, that's cool. And then the second thing is, why would anybody want to do that? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, could you talk a little bit about that? Because I was fascinated by that stuff. Absolutely. So... For a long while, people in the portabilizing community, which is basically just the idea for anybody who doesn't know, of taking a retro console like the GameCube or the N64, putting it in an enclosure with bus buttons and a screen and a voltage regulator and batteries and making it a literal handheld console. And so for the longest while in that community, the Wii was seen as some kind of you can't trim it. There's too many layers on the board to know what's going on on the inside. It's impossible to work with. 
And so in January of 2017, a modder by the name of Shank and Shockslayer really sat down and decided to sand all of the solder mask off of a Wii motherboard and scan in each individual layer. And they went through for probably the better half of a couple of months, and they traced each individual trace on the motherboard to see where it went, which voltages it used, what signal lines went where, and just to get a general idea of the anatomy of a Wii. And so we discovered that we could cut it down to about the size of a credit card, give or take a few millimeters. And once you do that, you require custom homebrew to run it because it doesn't boot right into the stock menu because it does require the Bluetooth module and the Wi-Fi module in order to boot normally. So what we had to do is Aurelio wrote custom CIOSs, which for anybody who's done Wii modding, you know what that is, Mm -hmm. um, to actually mimic the calls that the Wi-Fi module makes. So it basically thinks that there's a Wi-Fi module there when there's not. So... You can trim the Wii down to the size of a credit card. You can use a custom pack, which we threw together card called Portableize Me. It uses Postloader and Nintendo and a few other things to have a really nice interface to let you select Wii games, GameCube games, homebrew, emulators. You can even throw in the VC games if you have them installed as WADs. And it just ties everything in with a nice central interface. And then you've got yourself a nice little emulator machine slash GameCube and Wii, but it's kind of hard to integrate a Wii remote into a portable. Right. So... Just the few games the, that actually uh, the motion controls and everything, right? And I mean, people have been integrating just the IR LEDs into the front half of their case, so they can still use the Wii remote if they so choose. But we're still quite a quite a bit away from getting Wii remote integration into the portables themselves to a point where you can play so many titles like Skyward Sword, for example. Jeez, you know that sanding down each layer of the motherboard. When you were saying that, I just my eyes kind of bugged out of my head because I know what that entails, and I I don't think I'd even try. <laughs> I don't oh, think yeah. I'd be able to do it. That's a lot of work. There's actually two separate revisions of the Wii. There's a six layer and a four layer. The four layer is the one that we predominantly use because it has about half the power consumption, so you get longer battery life and it's easier to trim. Mm-hmm. But I mean, when they were doing it, still I, that's a huge step up from like the N64, which is just a two layer board. I mean, you flip it over. Oh look, there's the other side. I'm all done. You know, you don't get to do any of that with the Wii. You have to sand down each layer and make sure you don't accidentally cut into another one while you're sanding that layer down, so that you can get a clear shot of the internal layers. It's a pain. Gotcha. Um, so, uh, have you thought, or, uh, with any of the six-layer versus four-layer boards, have you traced any of that down to corresponding with which Wii's have the better video output? We actually haven't really looked into that too much. I'm not sure if anybody has actually um, transplanted the AVE, which is the video encoder on the Wii, mm-hmm. from a six-layer to a four-layer. I've heard that um, the later models, so the four layers without the GameCube ports on the top, that's one distinct way to tell, mm-hmm. have better um, component output. Yeah, I haven't some guys tested on the it myself. Forum and a few other people on uh, different forums have done it, and um, I, I was keeping up with it pretty pretty rigorously, and then I just, I'm getting so overwhelmed with stuff, I've lost track of where they're at, but they were able to nail it down to a specific range of boards, um, and I don't remember if they were the four layer or the six layer, to be honest with you. Uh, there was definitely um, one range of boards that uh, that had it, so it's uh, it's interesting because you know with uh, with digital output things from a consumer end are so much easier. It's not easier to make them, but for us, you know, plug and play HDMI. But anytime there's an analog output of any kind, people don't seem to realize that an analog signal is just an antenna running next to other antennas that are interfering with each other. So it's uh, it's always hard to get it right, and you know. 
and for many reasons, N- Nintendo, Sega, all those other companies. I, I mean, you know, what was it? Forty-four million SNESs sold. They knew exactly how to make it perfect, but if it costs an extra six bucks a machine, you know, that's hundreds of millions of dollars lost. And Nintendo do that with a Wii as well. So it's up to us who want to squeeze that ever extra little bit out of each thing in order to to track this stuff down. Right. And I mean, I haven't looked at it myself. It could just be something like passive components, like a capacitor is missing and it, you know, lowers the video quality or something like that. Um, It would definitely be something to look into. Another interesting note, though, for the Wii enthusiasts is that GC Video, with a slight firmware tweak, does work on the Wii. So if you really wanted to, you could squeeze in a DIY install into the Wii and get, you know, perfect VGA or RGB or HDMI because the DVI boards work as well out on the Wii. It's just with the casing and everything, it makes it a little difficult for anybody to be Mm -hmm. cranking out standard installs with that. Yeah, there's a few people working on custom install boards, and uh, I think all of it stalled for... For not uh, technical reasons, you know, life reasons. This is all of our hobbies and stuff. So, uh, But I'm looking forward to seeing how that actually looks, and I'm really looking forward to doing side-by-side comparisons. Because almost every case I found that a digital-to-digital, um, you know, sometimes you have to zoom in like ten times, but you could always see a difference. It's always a little clearer. Right. So... Well, uh, would you mind talking about your Game Boy stuff for a while? Because I like it. Um, you got the programmer, and uh, I just grabbed uh, I just grabbed one of the carts. Um, so, uh, if I'm correct me if I'm wrong, but the programmer seems pretty straightforward. You use it to both read the uh, the ROMs and the save files from existing Game Boy games, and then you use it to write to your carts. Correct. Correct. So the programmer is based off of some old technology from the early 2000s. Probably anybody who's looked into doing their own kind of Game Boy stuff has run across the site. I believe the guy is German who hosted the site, so I'm not even going to attempt to say his name. <laughs> but it's like pronunciations too. Yeah, yeah, it's like a rainbow background page. Looks straight out of the late 90s, early 2000s, and. So he has a whole host of information on custom carts. You know, most people for the longest time were just taking the AMD flash chips and throwing them into stock carts and just wiring up individually, which you can do, but it's quite messy if you don't have small gauge wire and are proficient with soldering. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, people have started cropping up where they were doing their own boards, which is exactly what that is right there. It's a custom board that is basically a one-to-one clone of the original Game Boy cart, with the exception of new flash memory on board. And with the the standard ones, so the FRAM or the SRAM boards, not the RTC, there is one change. There's a little resistor that actually you have to jump. Um, the there's like a there's like a right enable pin on the FRAM that you have to pull high in order to get it to work with the Game Boy. But aside from that, I mean everything's a one to one clone. You could throw, you know, Pokemon Red or Blue or Gold Silver Crystal on there and plug it into your transfer pack on the N64, and it wouldn't know the difference between that and an actual cartridge. That's very cool. So could you explain about the different kinds and uh, uh, like the different models available? And I'll I'll actually pull this out for anybody that uh, wants to see try to keep this in focus here but so this board yourself all of the boards on the inside of of these are all custom built from scratch yeah that's correct and even the chips on them are brand new newly sourced right with the exception of the two chips on the top the one you see there is the memory bank controller and the well you don't have it there because it's the fram board Mm -hmm. but that would be the uh 
the lithium regulator, which kind of works with the SRAM to keep your save on there. Okay. So those two are the only ones that I have to pull from Game Boy boards because I didn't make a custom memory bank controller, which people have done in the past. Um, so it's a cheap. It's probably a cheaper process than actually making your own because you'd have to buy, um, you know, a small FPGA, for example, and you'd have to write all the code and put that on there. And depending on the one you use, the price could be as much as a Game Boy cartridge itself. Right. So, and then you also, if you do a battery model, you need to source the the lithium uh, chip as well, which again could be another one two dollars so you're just racking up the cost there it's something that i'd like to do in the future but i'm not sure Mm -hmm. so back to the different models we've got the one megabyte model which will work with a lot of games the later some of the later heavier titles like actually i don't even think the zeldas so the ones i know of off the top of my head are the three later pokemon games that work on the game boy color so gold silver crystal those are all two megabyte games um and I really, I really can't think of another one off the top of my head. Most games are either one megabyte or some are even 512K, which, you know, there are some Game Boy mm-hmm. Color titles that are 512K. So that'll probably be suitable for most people. But for those who need the two megabytes, we've got a standard two megabyte model with a save battery, or we've got the two megabyte FRAM. Well, um, hold on, just uh, slow down for a minute here. I'm trying to keep up. <laughs> um, yeah, sure. So the, the, one, uh, the one megabyte cart, do those come with the batteries built in? Yes, they all ship with fresh batteries, charged up to 3.3 volts, like the day you pull them out of the package. They will also come with 256K of SRAM, so you should be able to fit any size save on there, with the exception of LSDJ. You're not going to be able to do um, all the songs that you want on there. It will work, and you can save, I think, a song, but you're not going to be able to do multiple on there. Gotcha, gotcha. So if somebody just wants a one-off flash card just a cheap one just to kind of mess with stuff um that one's fairly cheap as well right yeah so that one's 20 bucks and then you'll need a programmer but i find that most people who are in this community the game boy community actually already have one because there are a couple other programmers that are built off of the same open source technology out there one that comes to mind is um a guy on tindy named jay rodrigo sells one Mm -hmm. and i found that a lot of people have it just for things like backing up saves and keeping those and reflashing their saves so i mean if you've already got one then yeah it's only 20 bucks gotcha so then to move on to the next one that's the two meg cart which is identical in every way except twice the size correct and there are two separate models with the two megabyte there's one with a battery and there's one without the one without uses fram which i know people have tried in the past to replace their games they've tried to replace the sram in their games with fram it's worked to some extent. It only works with games that don't have a real-time clock. So any other game, you should be set. The thing about the real-time clock boards and FRAM that they don't mix well is because you need a battery to keep the time going. Gotcha. So I opted out from doing an FRAM real-time clock board. I mean, it's possible, but the frequency of you having to change your battery is going to be probably once every four or five years, depending on how much you really hardcore play it. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it's not really worth it, especially because the FRAM is so much more expensive than the SRAM. I think it's like a three, four, five dollar price difference between the two models. Wow. Um, Could you explain the the difference between FRAM and SRAM for, for people like me that want a refresher or for people that have never heard of it before? 
Sure. So SRAM actually requires a battery to keep the save. It's kind of like computer RAM, where if you power it off, it loses all of its contents. So and that's the, the standard that, uh, type of RAM that's been used in cartridges since I think the first Zelda was the first one that, to do that, correct? Yeah, it's been used... It was used all the way up to Game Boy Advance games. Those are when they started to go to, um, you know, FRAM in their cartridges. Gotcha. And what is FRAM then? So FRAM is ferroelectric RAM. It doesn't require any kind of electrical charge to be present constantly to keep its contents. Once you write it, if it loses a charge, like if it loses voltage going to the pins, it'll keep its memory and lock. It's not going to dump its contents and immediately have to be rewritten the next time you turn on your Game Boy. So if you're kind of like an SD card, right? That's basically what it is. It's it's an SD card with a different format. It uses a different interface to talk, you know, than an SD card would. But that being said, you know, it's essentially a one to one clone, with the exception of you don't need the voltage to be constant on the RAM. So it's ideal for situations like this or Super Nintendo games that have batteries. You could replace it with FRAM if you found the right model. That's pretty awesome. Um, so the fourth cart then, so you have the 1 meg, the 2 meg with SRAM, the 2 meg with FRAM, and then what is the final one? So the last model that we've got available is a real-time clock cart. It's not something that the everyday person is going to use. It's more for the person who wants to have the ability to play Pokemon games stock without any patches or anything like that. You can throw it right on there or any other game that actually uses the real-time clock. Those would all work 100% on there because the other three carts are based on the Memory Bank Controller 5 and the real-time clock carts are based on the Memory Bank Controller 3. So I haven't even tested like compatibility all the way up and it's explicitly said on the page, you know, I, cause I can't test every single Game Boy game that was developed after the NBC three to test and see if it'll work. Mm-hmm. But that being said, um, you know, it's designed to work with these specific games and, you know, people seem to, what I've seen more of people buying them is them using them for Pokemon crystal ROM hacks. There's a disassembly of the game on a GitHub somewhere where you can download it and you can edit the game to your pleasure and then recompile it and it spits out a ROM. So then you can flash your ROM hack and it'll work just like the original cart would with your edits on board. Gotcha. Very cool. So um, overall, I mean, uh, you know, I said it in the in the review. Um, I think, I mean, I'm definitely buying the programmer off of you. I don't know why I haven't owned one before this. Uh, you know, I, I just, I think it's for the price that you guys are selling these for, any Game Boy fan should just buy one if they don't have one already. I mean, at you know, at worst, it's great to back up all your saves, and that's still a pretty big compliment. But at best, you could use this thing, you know, dump your own games for people that want to make sure they have a you know a perfect copy, um, you know, or, or if you want to do any of the flashing itself. But this is a, a, a very cool tool. But didn't mean to rhyme that one. But um, who, <laughs> who do you find is predominantly buying the single flash cards? I imagine the cheapest one would be for people that just want to mess around with ROMs here and there but don't want to invest in full ROM carts. But I, I would guess that developers would be the ones that were probably the most, uh, you know, purchasing the most. Am I wrong in that? No, you're absolutely right. Um, what I've seen is people who are either putting on their own games or it's predominantly people who are doing hacks or edits of other games. They're putting it on there, using it to test. Because with you know with these cartridges, it's different than an EverDrive or you know, Ben Van's El Cheapo mm-hmm. because it's a one-to-one clone. 
the Game Boy is not going to see any difference because there is no difference. It's stock Game Boy hardware with a different flash chip inside, which doesn't make any difference. So if you want to ensure 100% compatibility on original hardware, that's going to be the way to do it because you're not going through any of the passes or you know the small edits that the other carts will use, such as you know the EverDrive, like I mentioned. It's just stock one-to-one original hardware is what the Game Boy sees it as. Gotcha. Cool. So I think that pretty much sums it up for the Game Boy stuff, right? Yeah. I didn't miss anything? <laughs> I'm always afraid no, I forgot I mean, something. Basically went over everything. Cool. So how did you get started in all this then? Do you do this uh, for a day job or are you just a nerd like me that loves this stuff? Yeah, so I actually started, the Game Boy stuff came a little bit later, but I actually did start in the portableizing community back in late 2010. Mm-hmm. So I've been doing this stuff for the better half of seven years now. Mm-hmm. The The Game Boy stuff I didn't really start getting into in, uh, until after I had started BitBuilt. And, you know, once I did that, I was blown away. I had no idea that people were taking SP screens and sticking them in in, uh, AGBs, you know, stuff like that, and all the custom front lights and back lights that I've seen. I didn't know any of that was going on. So when I found it, I was blown away. And then to find out that people are making, you know, cartridges like this and all these flash carts and things like that, that just blew my mind. And I knew I wanted to jump into the community over there so that's really when i started to look into doing this and actually funnily enough one of the only reasons that i did the game boy carts in the first place was because i have um, a collection of all the original pokemon games including the japanese ones and i was looking and i was like well that kind of sucks there's not an english green version so i wanted to make a cartridge for the english green version and as i went farther and farther into it i was like you could really make this something that you know people would use and so once I started to do that, went further and further down the rabbit hole, found the 2-meg flash, found that I could do it with real-time clock, mm. and then the FRAM came after that. And so, you know, eventually I had built up to the point where I had these, you know, four separate carts that I had finished and I knew were working, and that's, you know, how I got to that point. You know, that um, I have another question for you, but that reminds me about something we kind of glossed over before. So these carts that you sell, um, you know, the actual carts themselves are real, like the plastic is real Game Boy carts. And then you take uh, the guts out, you take the chips that you need and put them on to your own PCBs, right? Mm-hmm. So how do you source the carts? Do you just go to stores and go to bargain bins and pull all the dollar ones out? Yeah, it's either that or, I mean, there are, pl- there are like big retailers on eBay who have, you know, tons and tons of Game Boy games that people don't want. Like, for example, the real-time clock board, I use the Mary-Kate and Ashley Pocket Planner, which, I mean, you can find for, like, $2 because nobody wants it in their collection. If you've got one, that's good enough. I mean, you can find new-in-box copies for, like, $10 because nobody wants them. And then, you know, for the other ones, it's usually a sports game or something like that that, you know, are just thrown out or people just don't want. It's a good way to give them new life, in my opinion. Yeah, you know, I'll be honest. Normally, I don't, I don't really like doing stuff like this because there's a finite amount of these things. But I, every single retro game store I've ever been to, you know, they have the good games on display, and then they have these huge bins filled with like a, you know, they're usually like a one dollar pile, and you could go searching through. And these things are eventually, I, they have been thrown out a lot. And they will eventually be thrown out. So this is one of the few cases that I, I, I mean, this is opinion, of course. So, you know, everybody's entitled to their own. But I genuinely think that this is a better use than the original. 
You know, because you have these things that you can get in a junk pile that might very well be thrown out at one point. Because like you said, who's really going to sit there and play, you know, a, a beat-up used copy of the Mary-Kate and Ashley Planner game, you know? Uh, right. So to be able to actually use them for things and, and have them be reused over and over is pretty cool. Not to mention the whole cost thing, right? I mean, that cheap one, um, for you to sell that for $20, if you were to make your own case for it, it would either be a cheap printed 3D case or you'd need... 20 grand in tooling, 15 grand in tooling to make it come out like that. So you right. literally need to sell to get it back down to $20. You'd have to sell about 20,000 of them. So it's just not yeah. feasible. And then it begs the question, do you use the standard gray cart? Do you use a black one? <laughs> do you use the Game Boy Color cartridge? What do you do? You know, and then it does. It also doesn't have that authentic Nintendo feel because you're not going to get a one-to-one casting from what it was back in the day. Mm-hmm. You know, you see that all the time with the third-party injection molded cases for, you know, reshelled handheld consoles or controllers or whatever it is. And then you can't stick the Nintendo logo on there either, so you're going to miss out on that. So do I really want to look like one of those Chinese sellers who has game on the top of their cartridges? Right, yeah. It's certainly not a good feel. And I know if I took the time to develop a game... Um, you know, which I'm not smart enough to do, but assuming I was, I would not. I would want to present it like this. I would want to present it in a way where it looked and felt legit. You know, like it was a real, a real developed thing. All right. Yeah. So the uh, the question I had before, though, um, I mean, thank you for answering, but was how did you how did you learn to do this stuff? Not how did you get to the Game Boy part? I mean, do you have a background in electronics, or do you just kind of figure it out as you go? Surprisingly, no. Um, the portabilizing stuff did help a great deal in terms of soldering technique and whatnot, but for the longest time, people in that community didn't do custom PCBs. It wasn't until I met Aurelio, who I mentioned earlier, who really, you know, took me under his wing and taught me a lot about how to do custom PCBs and just filling in all this information and all these questions that I had about, you know, that whole scene and everything. And I started doing circuit board designs only a couple of years ago it was back in like june or july of 2015 and you know to look back and see the boards that i did then i almost have to laugh at them because it you know pales in comparison to what i'm doing today so you know the learning curve is very steep but once you really dig in there it's very rewarding yeah yeah well as with any project that a passion project you know but it's always interesting to me how many people um do this for a hobby that are electrical engineers and don't have any real training um, yeah. and, you know, well, I guess I should say how many people do it and it comes out well. We've all seen the ones that don't. So, <laughs> Right. Yeah, I'm actually uh, in school right now majoring in IT, so it's kind of a completely unrelated field. I mean, some of the languages bear similarities for when you have to program microcontrollers and whatnot, but, I mean, that's all EE stuff, so they really don't go over any of that. Yeah. Yeah, but the basics... The basics of IT and computers are, are really rooted in the base of, basics of electronics themselves. Right. So, um, you know, the fundamentals of how to diagnose a problem and where to look for the answers are, are very similar. I do IT for a living. I used to have a, a really good IT job, too. I got to travel all over the planet and meet people that were smarter than I will ever dream to be, which was phenomenal. I love being in those situations. And whether Definitely. I'm talking to somebody who, who would design a motherboard or I met the guy who wrote the code for all the um, uh, American micro devices, the um, the, um, the BIOS, AmiBIOS, AMI. Oh. I almost said AMD. Like, uh, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, just meeting all these really smart people and, and learning from all of them, they all do have the same fundamentals of, of how to figure out problems and stuff. So it was kind of neat to see. So, Right, yeah. 
So the I've been on the BitBuilt forums every now and then, and it seems like it's geared more towards uh, intermediate to expert, right? Yeah, there's quite a steep learning curve. And I mean, it's been that way for a long time with a lot of the portableizing communities. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of people, when they come in, they're like, hey, I want to build this. How do I do it? You know, we say, all right, go to our guide hub and read through all the guides. But, you know, it's kind of tough because I know that we don't have a lot of, you know, electronics 101 guides or anything like that or how to correctly solder videos. You know, I know they've been posted here and there, but we don't have like a solid foundation, you know, of us sitting down, doing the tutorials ourselves, showing our members how to do it, Mm -hmm. which I think is something that we need to change because I think it would help out a lot, especially if it's geared towards the console modding community and you did a video for soldering geared towards them, you know, Mm -hmm. showing them examples of stuff involving that. Yeah, you know, I have kind of a strong opinion on that. I think um, as long as there's transparency, um, like in a situation where if it's a forum that's really welcome to beginners and somebody, you know, somebody is rude to one, I would immediately get pissed at that person who was rude. But on the other hand, if you have a forum that's geared towards intermediate to experts, uh, and it's very clear that it is, if a beginner comes in and says, you know, like, what's solder? At that point, they're the asshole, <laughs> not not the guys behind it. But um, I don't right. know. Forums are, uh, you know, ever. I'm I'm older. I'm 35, so I was there from the you know the first forums and chats and IRCs and all that. And seeing the evolution of forums is like uh, almost like having a psychology test. You know, it's kind of funny to see what goes on there. But uh, there's definitely some some harsh critics on Bitbuilt. So I wouldn't. I would call it uh, a safe place for experts to roam, but I'm not sure about beginners yet. Yeah, and I mean, I have to admit, I am one of those harsh critics. You know, if someone comes barging in saying, "Here's my stuff. I made it. It's great. Look at it." You know, we have the right to sit there and analyze it and say, you know, give you good advice. Well, what we see is good advice, at least. You know, give you pointers and say, you know. We've been doing this for a long time. The community's not going to like this, this, or this. But, you know, you did really well on this and this. And that's actually one of the things that I really like about the site is, you know, we can sit there and argue all day and then turn around and have an honest discussion with one another and just kind of, you know, bond together as a community with this one common hobby in, in, in mind. Well, yeah, I mean, what, the few things that you just mentioned, like, two things come up to mind. Uh, you know, one, I, I don't mind saying his name because I, I consider him a friend, but, you know, I was pretty harsh to Matt Buxton about um, something he was doing with the OSSC. And, you know, it was on a forum because I wanted everybody's opinion on this as well. And so many people took it like, oh, well, Bob hates Matt. And, you know, look at it. That, that is not it at all. It's a friend of mine who I like and trust, which is why I'm totally cool having an open conversation. It's like getting into an argument of whose band is better, you know, whose favorite band is better. You know, it's we right. can have this argument and move along. But I did see something on your forum, and I honestly wasn't sure how to take it. And, you know, after interacting with you for a while, I completely know how to take it now. But uh, I don't want to say his name because it's irrelevant to the story, but there was one person that posted something, and the post did start out kind of weird because it said something like, here's my new product, I'm just putting this out here, but it's not up for discussion. Dude, if you put it on the Internet, it's up for discussion. That's not end of story, on you know, period. Um, but then he posted something that was pretty much a prototype, and then he got the feedback of people, and he was actually very open to the feedback. 
um, of, you know, hey, here's why this isn't going to work. Here's why this is just a prototype. This is why you shouldn't say, you know, we don't want feedback for this. Um, but yeah, you were kind of harsh on them. So I just, uh, you know, in hindsight, I don't think you should have done anything differently. But it certainly is what drew the line for me of like, well, this is a place for experts, not for, and not for people that are just throwing it in. I mean, do you have any thoughts on that? And I'm certainly not picking on you, and I hope you don't think I'm like, you know, like cornering you or something. I'm just, it, I was just kind of curious on your thoughts. That I'm sure you know which one I'm talking about. So. Oh, yeah. And no, I I absolutely understand where you're coming from. See, the big deal on that situation for me was, like you said, you know, this person barged in and said, here's what I made. Don't talk about it. Don't give me any feedback. It's great how it is. Look at it. I'm going to sell it. 140 a piece. And the thing is, you know, after saying what I said, and a lot of it was pretty harsh, you know, because I had combed through the person's history and looked at what exactly what steps they took to get to the point where they were at. And some of it was a little ridiculous to be completely honest, but the better half, you know, was just them kind of going, well, how do I do this? How do I do this? How do I do this? You know, climbing up that ladder, asking people, but almost not looking into it themselves. And, you know, after saying what I had said, they then went back and edited their post saying, no, 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 this is a prototype. I promise it's a prototype. You know, give me all your feedback. I'll be open to it. So it's like if you're going to post saying this isn't a prototype, don't give me any feedback, at least own up to it or say, you know, I'm sorry I was wrong. Don't just, you know, pretend that people didn't see it because, you know, there are caches on the internet for that reason. You can go back and look at the post history or whatever it is, you know. So in my mind, it's like if you're going to come in and you're going to show a product that you're not sure how it's going to be received, ask for feedback. You know, there are dicks in the world. It happens. <laughs> people are just mean for no reason. But if you're going to come in and you're going to be nice about it, people are going to reciprocate that feeling. People are going to be nice to you, and you know, you're going to get great feedback. You're going to know how to take the steps forward from here. You're going to have people give you all kinds of great opinions, you know, experts in the field. Like with this particular one, there was somebody who commented on it who, you know, was developing something of his own similar to that product. So you know, we did have that, and he was actually a lot nicer than I thought he would be on the situation, but, you know, so it's just, and then it does, you know, re-solidify, like you said, the fact that we are more geared towards, you know, intermediate to expert people, and, you know, that's not to say that, you know, beginners can't come in and then all of a sudden blow everybody out of the water, but for the most part, you know, the members in our community have done this stuff before, you know, they're previous members of other modding forms or whatnot, so, you know, it is, and it is geared more towards the intermediate slash expert group. I will agree on that. Mm -hmm. Cool. Yeah, well, the good news, and the other reason I'm okay with talking about this one, because I don't like to shit on people. That's just not my style. But that person did take feedback and is improving. So it's not like, you know, we all know the few notorious people out there that just refuse to listen to anybody and continue to do garbage over and over. And this is not the case. The person improved. It's already on version 2. I think there's a version 3 in the works. So... That, you know, the harsh criticism certainly uh, was, if, even if it wasn't received well, it, it was well in the, you know, worked well out. How come I can't talk today? It worked. The <laughs> outcome of it worked out well. So that yeah. was, a, yeah, that was good. I just, because, you know, that's the one thing. And one of the hardest things, too, is somebody, you know, because, I mean, it, it, as soon as you put something out there, you know, you just get nailed. And I, I'm used to that, but it still kind of cracked me up. Like, the first thing I posted was a thing on Schmups about, you know, a quick way to get audio output, stereo audio out of Genesis. 
And as soon as I put that on the forums, there was a bunch of people, really friendly and nice, like, oh, great guide, you know, here's some suggestions. And then as soon as I put it on the website, it was, fuck you, who's this guy with a website and a guide? Who does he think he is? And it's like, <laughs> come on, yeah. man, I cut and pasted my own guide out of the forum. How it's... So it's it's hard to take people's criticism seriously when you don't know who's the people to listen to and who not to. Um, but that's just part of the learning curve, right? You right. Figure out who just uh, who knows what they're talking about, and you should listen to, and who's just talking. So yeah, I mean, I've been in that boat too. You know, I've you know done a PCB design, and I've run it by the guys, and then one of them will say, "No, this is garbage. Do it over." You know, somewhat in a joking way, but I know it's serious, so I know I have to go back and do it. And I'm glad to hear that he is making revisions to his product, which is really it's really glad to hear that we didn't deter him too much, or yeah. I didn't deter him from yeah. you know you know making these edits which is good because you know he is taking the consideration into account and it's good that you know we're all kind of seeing more eye to eye on that situation yeah and i know one thing that everybody is guilty of is that a lot of people don't know whose friends especially newcomers whose friends and who's just people posting and like somebody posted they didn't mean anything bad but somebody posted something annoying in one of my videos a couple of weeks ago and i was venting to zach about it voltar and he's like, yeah, but didn't I just say the same thing to you on a, you know, on a, a, a chat last week? I'm like, oh yeah, good point. So how, you know, how are new people to know who's who and who's friends and who's not? So it's uh, it's always a harsh one too. But right. I don't know. I just uh, sometimes you need a thick skin. But I, I've seen so many people put out so much really great work. So I just I always want to encourage people to it to you know know your role right go to the correct forum figure out which one's for you you know don't go to one of the deep programming things of nestev and ask how to save your you know save file from a flash cart <laughs> you know what i mean <laughs> you get geniuses right. over there that are programming code for chips don't waste their time asking how to save your save file but yeah i'm always interested in, in what people have coming next and, and speaking of which um, what's next on the horizon for bitbuilt do you is it just focusing mostly on the game boy stuff do you have other products that you guys are going to be selling so we are doing a new couple things in terms of both sectors. We got new Game Boy stuff coming. We've got new portableizing slash console modding stuff coming. On the console modding side, we've got a couple new regulator boards for the Wii. That's going to make making a portable Wii portable even easier than it already is. You know, you don't have to get your own regulators and wire them up. We're selling pre-made boards for both. And then we're doing our own spin on GC Video, which is designed specifically for the Wii, um, and it also uses a new. Uh, deck so that we can get a little bit better video quality it's actually the same deck that marshall used on the ultra vga which is a n64 to vga mm -hmm. board that he did uh, a little bit ago so hopefully the quality will be a little bit better than what's out there with the uh, gc video light boards now so the boards that you're you're putting out are they hdmi or are they uh, analog or both so we've got the framework where we could do both, but the boards we're going to be selling on the store, at least for now, are going to be VGA, just because that's what we use in the portables, and that's kind of what this is geared towards mm -hmm. for now. Um, so, you know, it's just a lot of the screens that we use accept composite and VGA, and that's it. You know, it's super rare to find a component accepting screen on the market. So, you know, a GC video alternative is basically our only choice to get really nice video quality out on a Wii portable. Gotcha. That's pretty awesome. Um, yeah, it should be cool. So when you the the VGA screens for the portables, um, now I'm trying to think because it, obviously it's 640 by 480 in most cases, but are, <laughs> aren't there? Um, 
I mean, do they actually have 720 by 480 VGA screens? Because I know that's not a Visa resolution, but because um, I have seen some wide screens, but I don't know if they're for you know if what the resolution. I'm I'm drawing a blank on those. There are. A couple I'm assuming that you five. would use a a four by three screen, right? Yeah, there are, you know, there's like different ones for each of the sizes. There's a 5-inch 4x3, there's a 5-inch 16x9, which is 800 by 480 um, People tend to go for the 4x3 because most games are 4x3 on the Wii and GameCube, so it makes sense. I mean, you can, you can do hacks for, you know, Melee and whatnot to get widescreen, but it's like, how worth it is it in the end because you have to you know go through all this trouble with hex editors and all this just to get it widescreen it's like you can just use the 4x3 screen or even you know the 16x9 screens have a 4x3 ratio setting normally Mm. so you could just set it to that there are I think 720 panels but I think they're only like 8 inches or up is what they usually come in gotcha okay well, that sounds pretty awesome. Um, I mean, it sounds like you know you guys hit the ground running last year, and you're already you know. I mean, especially for something that's not a main business, it's you know you're you're in school, other people are, have other jobs, and you're still able to put out cool stuff. So, uh, congrats and all that, and I hope that you guys keep going with it because I like to see all the new stuff you have coming out. Yeah, thanks. Especially on the Game Boy side, I think you'll really like what's coming out there. So. The programmer that you have is soon to be discontinued once I get that out, but it is going to receive a really nice software update that I'm working on right now. That's going to speed up the programming quite a bit, which is really nice. We're not going to get freezes on USB 3 anymore, but the new programmer is going to work with both the original Game Boy line and GBA, and it's also going to be cheaper to produce, and that means a possible price reduction because i'm not using the ftdi chip which you see on there which is the uh usb to serial converter that is completely cut out because i move into a new microcontroller that accepts usb natively Mm -hmm. and that's the most expensive component on that board is the ftdi so if that gets cut out then you know i can probably cut the cost the one above it the smaller oh the smaller yeah the soic yeah oh gotcha yeah, that's the FTDI there. No, it literally so says if FTDI. I can, sorry, the lighting yeah. here is weird. <laughs> yeah, so if I can cut that out, I can probably get the boards down to seventeen fifty or even not going to make any promises, but possibly fifteen dollars a pop. It depends on what kind of source we've got for the cartridge connectors. They're popping up again on AliExpress um, SP reproductions, and I think the board you've got has an SP connector on it. Mm-hmm. Because what I was actually doing to source those is there's this seller on eBay named Vancorp who sold lots of motherboards. They're all, you know, bad motherboards from DS Lights or Game Boy SPs. And I mean, they were relatively cheap. They were cheaper than buying the cartridge connectors off AliExpress because, you know, a few years ago there was this big source of DS Lite GBA connectors, the cartridge connector on the bottom, and suddenly those all disappeared. So now I have to kind of scrounge around and find the connectors to get the programmers all done. Gotcha. So if I can find a ready source for those, I just bought a batch, I'll see how good they are and if they're going to work, then I can probably reliably get the price down, you know, another 250 or $5. Mm-hmm. Well, that's incredible. I mean, even if the price stayed the same, you're still getting more for the same price. So getting more for less, everybody wins. So that's right. awesome. Very cool. And then there is one more Game Boy project in the works that I would like to discuss. It's getting a little bit ahead way. Um, and that is a Game Boy Color screen replacement. The cool thing about that yeah, is Yeah, so it's that is what be... everybody has wanted for a million years now. Yeah, 
and it's going to be essentially a drop-in replacement with the exception of two wires for power because it's not going to the the connector that's on there now doesn't actually drive enough power through mm-hmm. because the panel that's in there needs so little so you're going to have to run a couple wires for power and then additional ground but that's going to be it and the really cool thing that I've been toying with is getting possible HDMI out on the top of the board so you could cut a little hole in the top of your Game Boy Color and have mini HDMI coming out of the top whoa whoa so that board that's going in, um, the board, the screen, is that like the guy in China that did the double resolution screen and actually had to build the circuit with the line doubler in it, or is that a one-to-one resolution screen? It would be most likely double the resolution. Um, right now what we're doing is getting the framework all set up of getting a different screen working on the Game Boy Color, and then we can tweak it a little bit for each different display. Mm-hmm. So the issue is going to be finding a screen of the same exact pixel density because you don't want to have any of the weird scaling issues where the image is distorted because it's stretched or right. contracted or anything like that. So it's going to be a little bit challenging finding a panel that's going to work and look great in there. But once we do find the correct panel, it is probably going to be double the resolution because I don't think people really manufacture uh, TFT panels of that small resolution anymore because I think... The Game Boy Color was something like 140 by 160 or somewhere yeah. in that range. Mm-hmm. So it would most likely have to be double the resolution, yeah. Well, that's still awesome, because that one in China sold out pretty much immediately. And I know Ben Venn has his uh, solution where you could use an AGS-101 screen in it. But I can't remember if he solved the problem yet, but anybody that's used the, the backlit ones... You know, their first reaction is usually, wow, this is the best Game Boy screen I've ever seen. But anytime you do vertical scrolling, you get that weird shimmering effect. Um, yeah. And that I don't know why, but that drives me crazy. So I just, yeah. I and like then it, there's, but, you know. There's also the fact that you have to cut out, like, a lot of the front half of your, of your case in order to use it. Yeah. It's not a big deal for the people who have, like, reproduction cases, so they don't really care as much. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, the people who've got, you know, the limited edition Pokemon or the gold Game Boy Color or anything like that, you know, I think they'd be a little more hesitant to do any cutting. Yeah. So what we're doing is we're going to make us a essentially a pcb sandwich so it's going to sit in between the original screw posts that are in there and just kind of slide into place and be able to be locked in by either pressure or the screws themselves that's killer that is really awesome we're aiming for decently priced too i can give a relative range i'm hoping in the range of 60 to 80 depending on if we do the hdmi um you'd receive everything all things considered yeah you'd receive everything you need i mean you know there'd be a flex cable that goes right into the original uh connector and then you just have to wire the two the two power and ground and you'd be done essentially and thanks to michael now you know where not to go to get a flex cable (laughs) right yeah (laughs) after that disaster yeah so wow that's that's really killer i I didn't i had no idea that was even in the works i just knew those guys were doing the one-offs but that was pretty much it yeah it's been something that people have wanted for a long time and i know it happened with or it yeah it happened with uh, the DMG because I know Ben Ven did like a three inch screen drop in replacement, mm-hmm. but you know I want to get it to a point where you know you've got a decent non AGS screen replacement because you know we should leave those for the people who want to either convert their OO ones to one oh ones or for the people who want to do the AGB one oh ones you know yeah. leave those for them. And let's get a new panel in there that's going to look even better than the AGS panels. Yeah, and I hate destroying anything else. And I actually coincidentally was talking to a, to one group of people that's one of the largest sellers of the um, the one oh you know the regular GBA to one oh one conversions. 
Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, there's this guy out in Australia. He's making, um, you know, uh, v- or VGA and RGB mods for it. And I know a guy in the U.S. who's doing HDMI. Can you please not, you know, junk those motherboards? And they're already talking to him. <laughs> so those, <laughs> there's nothing wasted, at the, you know, from those guys. But I imagine, I'm just wondering how many SPs have gone, you know, into the parts bin because of you're stealing the screens out of them, you know? So this is yeah. a better way to do it. Yeah, you see them pop up on eBay now and again. If you search like Game Boy SP broken or whatever, you'll get just you know it's just the shell with no screen on the inside because someone ripped it out for that. So it's yeah. it's good to know that they are you know remanufacturing those panels, which is nice. But you know who knows? A couple of years ago, they stopped. You know they the short there was a shortage and then people went crazy and they hiked the price up to like sixty or seventy bucks. Now they're back down to like forty, I think, is what I'm seeing, which is mm-hmm. a really good deal. So, you know, hopefully there's a large enough supply so that should someone stop production, you know, we can ride that wave for quite a bit longer. And that's that's one of the things, though, is, you know, people who are using them for, like, the Game Boy Color mods and whatnot, if something's wrong with the board, then there's a chance the screen goes, too. And that's that's one of the big things, is if you're not plugging it into the original hardware, like a Game Boy Advance or SP directly there's always a risk so mm. i just i want to get something out there so that we can keep those screens open for the people who really need them yeah yeah that, that's awesome that's really exciting um do you have a, a general time frame you know 2017 2018 most likely what we're going to be looking at is fall 2017 is when things are really going to get rolling in terms of you know we're going to be seeing proto boards and screens and all that out and then what i'm hoping for is a like mid-winter release so well not like the actual days midwinter but as in like mid-december early january release is what i'd be hoping for and it would most likely it'd be open to pre-order depending on the complexity of the board i might have it made by the fab instead of you know doing them by hand so that we could crank them out faster so if there's a big pre-order line then you know we can get a whole bunch of people who are going to commit they're going to buy it and then you know we can get them done real quick because the fab turnaround time probably be somewhere around two weeks is what i've had on average two three weeks so if they're paid and they're ready to go i mean we can just keep cranking them out without really having a wait time for assembly or anything like that gotcha awesome well, exciting stuff. Thanks, man. Thanks for taking the time to do this. I know we've been bouncing back and forth, but I'm glad we finally got you on. And, uh, you know, I, I hope that more people are now aware of the BitBuilt stuff. Um, and at the very least, you know, pick up whatever products is relevant to them because it's good stuff. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. No problem. All right, man. Take care, and I'll see everybody next week. Thanks. Thanks.